Merry Christmas and welcome to the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. I'm Gwen DeSelm, producer of this podcast, and with me is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries and our teacher, Dave DeSelm. Merry Christmas, friends. It's great to be able to share this time with you. This episode goes live on Christmas Day, so if you're joining us on the 25th, thank you for allowing us to be part of your special day. It truly is an honor for us. But my guess is most likely you're actually listening to this after the big day has come and gone. By now the decorations are looking a little tired, the gifts have all been opened, and maybe some of them have already been returned. You're feeling a little more tired, your waistline's a little tighter, and your wallet's a little lighter. But maybe you're disappointed. This Christmas didn't go like you hoped it would. Or perhaps the pain of loss was magnified for you in a way that left you feeling quite alone. My friend, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, the beauty of the Christmas story is that it is good news. For all people, Emmanuel has come for you. Let's take our Bibles in hand, shall we, and open them up to the New Testament Gospel of Luke, all right? Luke chapter 2. I can't think of a more appropriate text for us to consider on this Christmas Sunday, especially since it's this very text that Linus quoted in a Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, what more could you want than that, all right? Luke chapter 2. Following along in your Bibles, I read you verses 1 to 11. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there... The time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. It will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. I like the way the New American Standard Bible renders that 11th verse. It's just a little nuance, but it fits this morning's talk to a T. It says, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. Emmanuel. We've been talking over these weeks, if you've been with us, uh, about how this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, really has multiple layers on it. Indeed, he is with us. Normal and ordinary as we are, he's with us. But beyond that, for those who would embrace him by faith, he can also be in us. He can live in us by his spirit. Marvelous things can happen as a result. One of those is that then he can flow through us to a world. We become his ambassadors, bringing Christ to bear upon the world. And today, what we're going to see is that he's not only with us, in us, and through us, but he can also be for us in a very real way. You know, heroes mirror a society. Show me a society's heroes, and I can discover a lot about that particular culture. The hero might be a liberator. The hero might be an artist. 
The hero might be a statesman. The hero might be a rock star. Heroes come in all shapes and sizes. The result is a collage of heroes in the cultures of the world as diverse as Florence Nightingale and Leonardo da Vinci, as Nelson Mandela and Abraham Lincoln, as Martin Luther King and Martin Luther. The heroes of a world. Each culture has heroes, whether it's a him or a her. But if there is one hero that transcends the world, all cultures, this one hero seems to find his place in all the continents. He's known the world over as easily recognized in Nigeria as in Indiana. If it's true that heroes mirror a people, this man is a mirror to the world. He goes by many names. Some call him Sinterklaas. Others refer to him as Papa Noel, Chris Kindle, Hochio, Kirstman, Father Christmas. The name that we're most familiar with is the name St. Nick, St. Nicholas. You familiar with that name? What's interesting is this hero of the world is more than mere legend. I did some research this past week, and according to one of the sources that I happened upon, there really was a St. Nick. His name was Nicholas, and he was born in AD 280 in what is now Turkey. He was orphaned at age nine. His parents died of the plague. And though one might think that he majored in college in toy making and minored in marketing, that's not the case. Rather, he studied Greek culture and Christian doctrine. Nicholas moved to the ranks of the church and was named the Bishop of Myra in the fourth century. He held that post until he died on December 6, 343 A.D. Though history recognized him as a saint, he was less than that in his younger days. In fact, he got thrown into prison twice. Once for religious reasons, when the emperor Diocletian sent him away, and once, if you can believe it, because he slugged a fellow fellow bishop during a debate. So much for deciding who's naughty and nice, right? Old Nick never married, but that's not to say he did not love well. He was best known for the love that he showed to the poor children in his village. He would, in the evenings, in the winter, slip through the streets and drop handfuls of coins through the windows of their huts. And thus it was the children were able to survive the winter. That story was the seed that was watered down through the years. And as the legend grew, it began to sparkle more than a Christmas tree. The gift grew from a handful of coins to bags of coins. Instead of dropping them through the window, he dropped them down the chimney. And instead of them simply landing on the hearth, they landed in the stockings that were hung by the hearth to dry in the winter air. Over the centuries, Nick's image changed as much as his reputation. As the Bishop of Myra, he would have early on worn the ecclesiastical robes, very dark, and a mitered hat. He was known to be slim, with a dark beard, and a very serious personality. Over the centuries, things shifted. By the 1300s, his beard had turned white. By the 1800s, he was depicted with a basket of food on his arm, and a big belly that showed that he ate most of it. Soon came the black boots, the red cape, and the stocking cap on his head. 
By the late 19th century, his sack of food had become a sack of gifts. And by the 1930s, he had a Coca-Cola in his hand. (laughs) And thus you can see how down through the years, the image shifted. You say, well, that's interesting. What does that have to do with us? I mean, what's the big deal about that? Well, I would suggest something to you, friends. And that is this. In many ways, this individual is part of our dreams. Who among us doesn't care for a friend who cares enough to travel a long way against long odds to bring us something? Who among us doesn't look for a sage who, though aware of our acts, is gracious to our good deeds and winks at our bad deeds? Who among us wouldn't like someone who would be a friend who would always be there and never disappoint, a father who would let you sit on his lap and share what you desire? St. Nick, Santa, the culmination of what we want in a hero, the personification of our hopes fulfilled, and the betrayer of our deepest expectations. You say, what? Santa, betrayer? Yes, in many ways. You see, for all that Santa can offer, he can't give us what we really need. For one thing, he's only around once a year. When January uh, winds chill our souls, he's gone. When December's gifts become February's payments, Santa's left the building. When April demands taxes and May brings final exams, Santa's nowhere to be found. When there's an empty chair in October and you lose your job in November, there's no one there upon whose lap you can sit. He's gone. And even though he does give much, he doesn't take away much. He can't take away the guilt of our failures. He can't take away the pain of our losses. He can't take away the anxiety of life's demands, and he cannot take away the mystery of the grave. He may be good at providing some things, but when it comes to the deepest hopes and dreams that you share with me, the old boy just can't pull that out of his bag. In many ways, he proves to be all too human as a hero. And when you stop and think about it, all heroes have chinks in their armor, don't they? You start probing in the lives of those who we uh, idolize and look up to, and you realize they were all too imperfect. All heroes were imperfect, except one. There was one who came from a different place. There was one who lived a different way. There was one, though, who who, uh, looked human, was more than human. The ultimate hero, Emmanuel. The one who came for us. At his touch, blind beggars saw. At his command, lepers were cleansed. At his word, crippled legs were made whole. With a single touch, troubled minds became healed. He fed thousands with one basket. He stilled a storm with one word. He raised the dead with one proclamation. He changed lives with one encounter. This one amazing life. Which is why, again, as I look at this verse, again, flash on the screens, there has been born for you the ultimate hero, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For you, a Savior. The angels shared those initial words with some shepherds, but I would share them with you today. 
And I would suggest to you that three aspects of that may give you enough to unwrap over the next 48 hours. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will continue his message in just a moment. Well, I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. You can also support us in this ministry. Just go to davedeselministries.org and click on the Donate button. Dave DeSelm Ministries offers resources for everyday pastors so they can equip the everyday people they lead to become everyday disciples. And one of the ways that we do that is through the Everyday Pastor blog. In each post, Dave offers practical insight and personal experience born of over 40 years of pastoral leadership. This blog covers topics everyday pastors and leaders need to strengthen their skills, sharpen their vision, and care for their souls. You can find the Everyday Pastor blog on our website, davedeselmministries.org. Now let's get back to Dave and the rest of today's teaching. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. I suggest to you that the verse is very clear that we've been given a Savior, and you're no different than me. We both need a Savior to forgive us, and there's been given a Savior to forgive you. And that's good news, because there's not a person here who doesn't need that. Lifting your eyes and voices, would you read this, these verses, verses aloud with me together? No one is righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned, yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who freely takes away our sins. Declared not guilty. I'd say that's pretty good news, don't you? Declared not guilty for all the things that we've done that are so, so wrong. The thing is, though none of us is perfect, not too many of us are willing to admit that. Reminds me of my favorite letter to Santa. Remember that when the newspaper used to have letters to Santa listed here? I look back and I cut one out. I've been with me now for years and I've shared this with some of you before. My favorite letter to Santa of all time. Dear Santa, there are three little boys that live at our house. There's Jeffrey, he's two. There's David, he's four. And there's Norman, he's seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good most of the time. Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. (laughs) Well, notwithstanding that little guy's claim, none of us is Norman. We're all normal, aren't we? And as such, there's not a person here. Let me ask you, how many of you would have to say, let's just look at the last 12 months. At least once, just, just once, you said something you regret, or you took an action that you'd like to take a mulligan on. Anybody just, at least one time? How many of you did really well, but the person next to you really had a bad year? Yeah. <laughs> See, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why we need a Savior, the Savior. Christmas card that I came up, uh, that was sent to our house, and again, I'm kind of a hoarder. Great Christmas card. Take a look. If our greatest need was for information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need was for technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need was for pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. If our greatest need was for money, God would have sent an economist. But since our greatest need was for forgiveness, God sent a Savior. Most of us are familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, 
that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's John 3.16. Do you know what John 3.17 says? John 3.17, very interesting. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So the fact of the matter is, Jesus did not come to earth to rub it in. He came to rub it out. Emmanuel has been given for us. Think of stepping into 2013 knowing that your slate's been washed clean. That God has forgiven you. You might want to open up that gift, the gift of salvation these days, and freshly discover what it means to be forgiven by God. A Savior has been given. Second, not only a Savior, but we need a Christ. A Christ to empower us. Christ to empower you. What is Christ? Well, the New Testament, written in Greek, is the word Christos. Christos, Christ. What does that mean? Literally, Christos means the anointed one, the king, all right? The anointed one. When kings were anointed, when they came to take their throne, they were anointed with oil back in ancient days. Upon the moment of their anointing, they took power and authority over all in their realm. All power, all authority. But not only did these kings have that power, they were able to delegate that power to those who lived in their name. I think most of us have probably seen a television show or movie where whether it's a police officer or a soldier pounds on a door and he will say, open up in the name of the king. You ever see that? Open up in the name of the king. What's he saying? I am nothing, but I live in the name of the king. Therefore, his power and authority is given to me. Are you tracking with me? Christ has given us this amazing gift. And that is to say, we have a king who could empower us. Think what it would be like if you would live with that fresh understanding at the onset of this new year. That you would recognize in and of yourself, you're not all that powerful. But if you live in the name of Jesus, the power and the authority that he brings to bear upon situations can be yours. One of the difficult things we put away the Christmas trees, take away all the decorations. Well, several things. One, we've got to pay the bills. Two, we've got to go on a diet. And three, all we have left is winter. And at times like that, counselors' offices are filled with people. And it's not only because of the seasonal light deprivation, it's because people have been numbed by the narcotic of the holidays, and what they have to go back to now is the pain of their life. What would it be like if you could step into this fresh year with an understanding of who you are in Jesus' name? In a few moments, in a few days that is, we'll not be wishing people Merry Christmas, but Happy New Year. I wish I could tell you that every one of you are going to have a happy new year. But in a crowd this size, I'll be frank with you. Some of you will know pain like you've never known it before. Some of you will probably bury a loved one. You may lose your job. A child may rebel. You may get terribly sick. How do we handle that? How do we handle the uncertainty of it? You see, if Emmanuel, God, is not only with you, in you, and through you, but for you. If you can have the power and the authority of the king, then no matter what else you face, you can stand tall and recognize that he will be enough. He will be enough. The apostle Paul was 
no stranger to stress and pressure. I love the words that he shared in Ephesians 1.19 on the screen. He writes, it is an incomparably great power for us who believe. Living in the name of the king. And then he wrote these words in Philippians 4.13, the Phillips paraphrase. Let's read this out loud and together as well. I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. You didn't sound too convinced. Let's try it again. Lifting your eyes, nudge the person next to you and say, show some enthusiasm, will you? Together, please. I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. Why? Because you're so strong? No, the strength of the one who lives within you. A savior to forgive you. Second, this whole idea of the the king, the Christ, to empower you. Finally, a Lord to lead you. A Lord to lead you. Again, hearkening back to the New Testament written in Greek, there are two words for Lord in the Greek. The first word is the word despotas. Despotas. Anybody want to guess what English word we get from that? Despot. What is a despot? It's a cruel, tyrannical ruler, right? A despot is a cruel lord, selfish lord. It's a despot. That word is never, it is in the Bible, but it speaks about lords over different lands other than God's land. The word is never used about Jesus. Rather, the word used there is the word curios. The word curios. Here's what it means. The rightful ruler of a realm the rightful ruler of a realm. You may paraphrase it. Not only the rightful ruler, but the right-filled ruler. A good Lord. A powerful Lord. A kind Lord. One that you can follow with confidence when you need to follow with confidence. This, for me, as a young Christian, was the hardest of these three words. I love the idea of a Savior. Heaven knows how much I need to be forgiven. I love the idea of having a fresh sense of power because God knows I sure wanted to live a different kind of life. But at 20 years old, I'd already made a commitment, and it was a bad one. I had decided I would never bow my knee to any man. I will not bow my knee to any person. No one will ever be my Lord. You know what I discovered? That left only one person to be Lord. Guess who it was? Me. And I've discovered, as some of you have, the crown doesn't fit. I'm not big enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not enough in every way. So when a time came for me to give my life fully to Christ, fully to Christ, I recognized that I had to deal with this third word. I'll never forget it. 1971, 20 years old, a little house off of South Calhoun Street, a little Bible study. For the first time ever, I learned that I could know a Savior, a Christ, and a Lord. And my prayer to embrace him by faith consisted of one word. Maybe you heard about you know, the whole sinner's prayer deal, and that's just fine. But for me, it was one word, and that word was Lord. And when I knelt in that living room, And I said the word, Lord, I knew I was giving my life lock, stock, and barrel to Christ. Savior, King, Lord.
I think there are some people who love the idea of having a savior. And there are some people who love the idea of having someone who will be a king to empower them. But how many of you are willing to bow your knee to Christ as your Lord? I will follow you in every way. I will give my life to you every day. What you say, I will do. If you say don't, I won't. You are my Lord. And I will bow my knee to you. Have you done that? You say, I already have. Here's what I've discovered. I have to do it quite regularly. Lord, you are my Lord. You're my King. You're my Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so grateful for this amazing, amazing gift of Emmanuel. After all these years, I still think that I've only scratched the surface as to what it means. But this morning, I'm so grateful for a Savior to forgive me. I'm so grateful for a King to empower me. I'm so grateful for a Lord to lead me. There's so much uncertainty. But I'm confident of this. Congress does not have the last word you do. The economy does not have the last word you do. Cancer does not have the last word you do. And the grave does not have the last word you do. So even as we bow our knees, we can do so with a sense of confidence that you're the rightful ruler, King of kings, Lord of lords, the rightful ruler and the right-filled ruler, one who is worth following. May we do that with a fresh sense of eagerness. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.